All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got my buddy, Weston Marsh, and I like to call him Wes the Best. He is one of my best friends, even though I've only seen him in person like three times. Um, we started hanging out last year when we were on a road trip to Florida and South Carolina. That's when I first met him, and now we've traveled up to Michigan to visit him and his family there. And then they've actually stopped here in Missouri as well. So uh, he's a really good friend. I look forward to a lot of hunting trips coming up in the future with him. Um, but we have a great show for you. And I apologize if it seems like we jumped right into a conversation here. I forgot to um, hit record on Zoom. I was like trying to record the podcast, record on Zoom, and do a TikTok live at the same time. And we began our chat. And then I realized, hey, I need to press this button. Otherwise, I'm not going to have any of the audio from it. So that's why it sounds like we jumped right into a conversation, but I'm going to let Weston take it away. Actually, you know what? Before I do, I want to share a quick update. I've been out turkey hunting here in, in Missouri, and I have bagged my first turkey. We're going to do an episode about that uh, coming up here in the next week or so. But I went out today, and oh man, there were like tornado watches, warnings, we luckily had a ground blind that we were sitting in. I went out with these two guys from Buckin and Strutton Outdoors. They've got their own podcast and super good dudes. I can tell we're going to be hunting buddies for a long time to come. And so I hope you guys are checking out the TikTok, Instagram. I'm going to post some pictures from that and uh, I'll have some updates and some podcasts coming up with those guys here in a little bit. But let's just jump right into this one, and I will let Weston take it away. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. You know, I remember when Carly first told me that she had met Sam. And then told me about you. And I was like, same, same situation. I'm like, mm, yeah, no, it makes it, it's pretty hard to make a Western friend group, the inner circle. And then I remember I got your number from, from Carly for some reason. I can't remember. And it was like first text message. I was like, yep, he made the cut. I, I don't even remember what it was, but I just remember like, I didn't even have to talk to you on the phone. It was like the first thing we said to each other via text. I was like, Yep, this is going to be it epic. Probably friendship. mildly inappropriate in that. <laughs> yeah. All right, neither of us are politically correct. We can. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was awesome. Yeah, and it's been great ever since. We've now, I mean, we've only seen each other in person like three times. Yeah, probably. Yeah, three times, I think. Which that seems so weird to me because I feel like you and I. <laughs> But it was really last year when we did our around the Florida, uh, basically all around the coast of Florida, we met a bunch of different people that my wife knew from Instagram, from RV accounts. And, um, and then we came up to South Carolina and spent a good chunk of time with you and your family. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, you guys came and hung out in Michigan when we were up there doing a renovation at my parents place. And then, uh, you know, luckily we got to swing through on our, our uh, 19 state trip over the summer and hang out with you guys in Missouri. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was that was a good time. And I mean, when we came out to South Carolina, I was like, dude, I didn't realize South Carolina had this much to offer. But yeah, yeah, it's a pretty cool place when you really kind of dive into it and and get to know it. <clears throat> well, and you got I mean, you're big into fishing. You're big into hunting, especially shooting bow. And so I didn't bring my bow with me when we first came to South Carolina, just because we had all of our beach gear and stuff for like a couple week road trip. And you were like, dude, I've got my bow. We should totally shoot. And I remember I put on my range finding binos and you and I were like two giddy school kids, like yeah. property shooting bows. I'm like, there's a big elk at 80 yards. Shoot, yeah. shoot it. And I mean, he'd get drawn back and shoot. And yeah, yeah. it was like playing cowboys and Indians as little kids, um, yeah. but in a much, much more uh, uncool adult version. <laughs> but it was epic. Yeah. I feel like it was a very cool adult version. <laughs> For us, it was. But yeah. everyone watching probably been like, what are these guys doing? <laughs> yeah. I 
obviously videoing us from your fifth wheel. Just like these two are ridiculous. And we actually skipping across the yard, <laughs> them videoing us. And so we held hands and skipped across the yard. <laughs> what have we gotten ourselves into? Yeah. But uh, why don't you give everybody a little bit of a background on you and kind of how you got into hunting and fishing and that type of thing? Sure. Yeah. So I originally grew up in Michigan, uh, Southeast Michigan, um, which, you know, uh, shooting whitetails in Michigan is kind of, kind of a big deal. So, um, grew up there. My grandpa actually got me started, um, hunting when I was super young, um, sitting with him and I ended up shooting my first deer when I was 12. Um, and was hooked from there. Um, <clears throat> I've, I picked up bow hunting at a really early age. Uh, I shot my first deer with my bow at 14 and kind of from there on out, I just, I never really touched a gun after that. Um, except when I'm bird hunting. Um, when I bird hunt, I, I use a gun, but other than that, I very rarely touch a gun. Uh, everything's with, with, uh, with my bow. And I just kind of made a commitment to myself for at 14 that I would try to shoot everything I possibly could with my bow. I'd harvest every animal with a bow. Um, and I've stuck to that pretty well. I, I have all the deer I've ever shot have all been with a bow. Um, and it's just been, you know, it's to me, it's a much more uh, challenging um, experience uh, trying to harvest an animal with a, with a bow than it is with a gun. Um, and it's just, a, like I said, a personal commitment to me. And ever since I was 14, um, you know, I've been in the tree stand almost every single season. I can't remember a season that I was not in the tree stand at least once. Um, grew up fishing as well. Uh, I was a, I'm a huge bass fisherman. Um, love to spend a lot of time on the water as well, um, which Charleston's been a great attribute to that as well. You know, we have a ton of great fisheries here locally um, and around the state that I've had the ability and privilege to be able to fish. Um, so it's been great. But up until, honestly, up until this past year, I haven't really deer hunted in South Carolina. Um, I would always make a trip back to Michigan um, you know, two or three times during deer season to harvest all my deer up in Michigan. Um, but this past, this past season, I really kind of dug my heels in and said, you know, let's, let's see what we can make happen here. Um, and it, you know, so you started sending me pictures and I was like, holy cow, man, you've got some yeah, I, hunting. Yeah. I didn't really know what to expect. You know, um, you know, a ton of my buddies, you know, we've lived here in Charleston now for almost eight, eight and a half years. And, um, a lot of my buddies, you know, grew up here deer hunting and just the stories and the pictures and stuff like that. You know, the deer down here is, it's just a different class of animal compared to what we shoot up North and what you would shoot in Missouri. Um, so the effect just wasn't really there. Uh, antler size didn't really seem to be all that comparable to what we would harvest up North. Um, and body size isn't necessarily the same either. So, um, but I said, you know, what the heck, I'm going to dig my heels in this year. I put some trail cameras out and just kind of played it as if I was in Michigan and was shocked the activity that I was able to capture, like within a week of having trail cameras out. Um, we have, uh, we're fortunate enough, I live on five acres, but it butts up to an 800 acre track that does not get hunted. Um, and we're able to work out some agreements with the landowner to be able to hunt, uh, bow hunt that strictly. Um, and dude, what a, what a game changer. I mean, I'm, I know it's not everyone's ability to be able to stumble upon an 800 acre track that's not ever touched. <laughs> so it was kind of like a, it was like stumbling into a gold mine. <laughs> dude. Yeah. You, you started sending me pictures and then you were telling me about where it was that you were hunting. And I'm like, dude, you're like a hundred yards behind your fifth wheel because yeah. you guys park your fifth wheel on that five yeah. acres. And I that's mean, right. you walk out and walk straight to your tree stand right there. Yeah. So I had a, I had a tree stand like with literally within probably 50 yards of our fifth wheel. And then um, I bought a ground blind for me and my son to sit in this past season because he really picked it up and really was getting excited and like literally i can look out our living room window in our fifth wheel and see the ground blind in the woods and we we saw deer out of it almost on the regular when we sit in it um 
So to say that we had an influx of deer this past season in person and on, on camera is like an understatement. Um, it was just, I was mind blown on the amount of activity that we had, uh, both bucks and does. Um, we had a, a really good mixed bag, but the buck activity this past season was everything short of stellar. Yeah. You, you kept sending me those photos and I just, I was blown away each time. You're like, Oh man, I got a new one on camera. I got a new one on camera. I saw this one in the stand last night. And I'm like, dude, you have it. You have the perfect setup right there. And not to mention when we came to visit you, you're like, dude, Hey, come check out our little chicken coop. And I was like, okay, cool. Go over there. And there's a duck in it. And I'm like, is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. So I remember we were sitting in the camper in the fifth wheel. Um, and like it sounded like a bird was chirping like literally outside of like right outside the door of our of our fifth wheel and i'm like that doesn't sound like a regular bird and so literally we just like swung the door open and at the base of the steps was this little this little baby duck and i'm like no no way dude like there's a literal baby duck just looking up at us and so i chased this thing around the yard and finally got a hold of it the kids are freaking out and and i'm like i'm i don't know what it is i mean i know we have a ton of uh, flooded swamp back there so i assumed it was probably a wood duck but you know at that time i didn't really know and so we were like oh man what what the heck do we do with this single baby duck and so my wife goes out and online and everything was like you gotta go get baby chickens you got to get baby chickens to raise with this thing so it doesn't get lonely and it'll increase the, the opportunity for it to actually hit full growth or whatever. So literally an hour later, we're at Tractor Supply buying all these useless chickens that we'll never use other than the fact to give some company to this baby duck. And uh, it wasn't too long after that is when you guys you guys came and I was like, dude, it's, it's going to be a wood duck. And we raised it all the way up to an adult. It was a hen. And the thing ended up flying away and it would come back every couple of days there for a little while. You can just kind of hang out with the chicken. We raised one of the chicken out of the five ended up making it. <laughs> so we kind of failed on that aspect of it, but um, it would come back and hang out for like a day and then it would take off. And then about a week later it, it was, it was gone. But yeah, so it was a pretty epic story too. Pretty yeah. Crazy. Crazy. I wonder, do you think it'll come back? Do you think it survives that it'll come back? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. You know, I, we, one of my tree stands um, back there in the back overlooks a a pretty big swamp area and, you know, there's wood ducks in it all the time. And at night I can hear them going crazy back in there. Um, So I like to think that one of them, you know, is it, I should have like, if I played my cards right and I was uh, a a good thinker, I would have like banded it or I would have put some sort of marking on it um and gone back there and like hunted and shot a wood duck and been like oh man this is the one that we raised from a baby (laughs) but um you'd like put your phone number on a band and then like yeah it did get shot somewhere way south right you know yeah it would have been epic to get like a phone call from like argentina and like some huge like duck impoundment hey we we shot this wood duck and got your phone number on the band but i'm never that quick on my feet i just raised the thing and let it go (laughs) Cool. That's really yeah. Cool. Now, now you've so you mentioned you've hunted South Carolina and Michigan, and I know just from talking to you, you've done like Kansas waterfowl trips also. Yeah, so I'm a huge waterfowl hunter too. Um, I picked that up a couple of years ago and just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, so yeah, the the waterfowl hunting aspect of it has kind of allowed me to hunt a few different places. Um, I've hunted. Kentucky, South Carolina, Michigan, um, Idaho, Arkansas, um, and Kansas. I think that covers all of them um, that I've been able to, to hunt, waterfall hunt, um, which has been epic too. Um, the Kansas trip that we took a couple of years ago was unbelievable. Um, just counting the seasons until I get to go back. Yeah. Um, Idaho was awesome. We lived in Idaho for, um, like eight months um last not last year but the year before and it was during duck season so um i did a lot of duck hunting in idaho while we were there and that was an awesome place too the the waterfall hunting there was pretty epic 
um, and then with, you know, being in South Carolina, Arkansas is, you know, eight hour drive. So we would make that almost every season on the regular there for a little while. Um, until the kids, till my kids got thrown into the mix and that kind of threw a wrench into it. Um, but yeah, waterfall hunting has been great. Um, unfortunately, you know, with the rise of duck hunting over the last four years, the hunting locally here in South Carolina has been pretty difficult. Um, the, the bird population to hunter population ratio is just not sufficient enough to, to make it worth somebody's while to go out and, and hunt. What if you had to quit hunting everywhere except for one state for waterfowl, which state out of the places you've hunted would you choose? Um, it would probably be Kansas. Um, if I could strictly have unlimited access to, to hunt Kansas, that would probably be the place. Um, Idaho would be a close second. Um, we had some really, really great hunts in Idaho too uh, that reminded me of Kansas. Yeah. Um, but we spent a week in Kansas and it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, we just, the thing I love about, about Kansas is you, you have the opportunity to hunt such a mixed bag of, of waterfowl um, <clears throat> being in that specific flyway. Uh, I mean, we shot pintails, we shot widgeon, mallards, you know, gadwall, you, you name it, redheads. And then we shot, I shot my first blue goose while I was in Kansas, which was pretty cool. Um, so that whole aspect of it, just being able to shoot a large variety of waterfowl, to me, just makes it really cool. I know yeah. there's tons of guys out there that are like, man, if I, I'll just shoot green heads the rest of my life and I'll be content. Um, don't get me wrong, I love shooting green heads, but there's just something about being able to go out and being able to pull the trigger and not really exactly knowing what you're going to end up seeing and what you're going to bring home. Um, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I always love those days of a mixed bag. I think... I feel like I would take a mixed bag over a limit of mallards every day because for sure. I mean, it's, it's primarily gadwall that we get to come in in big groups, but like, we'll, I, I shot a canvas back here. I've shot a pintail here. Um, greenheads gadwall. We shoot a lot of golden eye, which mm -hmm. are beautiful. And like, I had never shot one of those until I moved down here, but yeah, mixed bag aspect, not knowing what's going to come in. And they all fly and approach so differently. Like you can't hunt teal the same way that you hunt geese or same way that you hunt mallards, you know, you right. set up a spot, but they just fly differently and yeah. a much greater challenge to shoot all the different types. Yeah. What about, uh, what about this year? What does this year look like for you? Are you going to be traveling at all and doing, doing some hunting or are you going to stick primarily with South Carolina? Yeah. So, um, as far as deer hunting this, this upcoming year, um, with the amount of activity that we had last year, it would be just really foolish for me not to take, uh, my South Carolina, uh, 2021 hunt to the next level. Um, so we're really gonna tend to lean into this 800 acres that we have behind us, um, and kind of take our relationship with the landowner to the next level, um, and really try to, to groom that property into harvesting some awesome animals um, over the next couple seasons, honestly. Um, but this will be the first this first season coming up to where we really get to kind of dive into it and make it what we want it to be. Um, so I'm pretty pretty pumped about that. Um, <clears throat> I'll, I always make a trip back to Michigan, whether that's for a weekend or a week. You know, it's just kind of like my bread and butter. I love going back to our family property. And, and harvesting some deer off of that as well um so that'll that'll probably be you know like i said just putting a lot of time into south carolina this upcoming year as far as my deer hunting experience is concerned um uh but as far as waterfall is concerned uh, i would love to try to make a trip back to kansas again this upcoming season yeah um um we went to we went to cheyenne bottoms um the last time we we duck hunted uh, in Kansas and it was pretty epic. Um, it, and honestly, it wasn't even like the greatest conditions while we were there. Um, the bird population wasn't nearly as heavy as what, uh, it normally is. Um, it was just kind of one of those off weeks, but we still just, we, we smashed them. We still put the hammer down on them and it was great. So 
I'd love to to spend another week out there this upcoming season. Um, same area, go back to Cheyenne Bottoms in that particular area in Central Kansas, and and really try to to get on them really good again. Yeah, that'd be sweet. I want to get you up to Wisconsin on a waterfowl trip. Yeah, yeah. I know we've talked about it numerous times, but we yeah. definitely need to make that happen. My cousin called me the last day of season last year, and he's like, "Dude, we got another limit." And he would always update me on how many birds that they had shot throughout the year. And I mean, sure. I don't know how many people are in his friend group that he's like considering the numbers for, but he said they shot somewhere around like 980 birds last year between wow. his friends. And they've had so many cool spots. Like they've got thousands of acres that they can hunt. They can hunt Lake Michigan. They can hunt a bunch of rivers, a bunch of pocket ponds, a bunch of cornfields. Um, and then they actually got, access to a golf course last year uh yeah i remember you sending me the video for that and it was unbelievable (laughs) they were dude come kill as many as you want like they're a nuisance out here they tear the the course up and they get in the way of golfers and they poop on everything and i'm like dude i would love to go on that my brother got to go with him and he's like it was ridiculous you drive around with golf carts and then you get out and go blast birds (laughs) yeah that's pretty epic more extermination than it is hunting but sure sure but yeah dude i want to i definitely want to plan a couple trips with you coming up because like even when we went up to michigan we we spotted that monster buck when we went out shining at night yeah i can i mean i hear a lot of podcasts actually the guys come from michigan like the meat eater uh, c vanilla he comes from michigan Giannis patel it mark Kenyon with wired to hunt like there's just a ton of people that are from that area and they're like man, there's so many hunters compared to, you know, the deer population. But then when we went out and we were spotting, there were so many deer in every field, it seemed like. Yeah, Michigan, man, is a, it, I'm, I'm, and this is no joke. I mean, it is a magical place when it comes to, to whitetail hunting. I mean, the, the deer population is so stout um, that, I mean, even if you were traveling there just to do a random hunt, like your odds of, of harvesting an animal would be, in my opinion, if you play your cards right and you know, and you position yourself well to harvest an animal would be almost guaranteed. Um, and there's like the, the DNR in Michigan, they do such a great job of managing, um, the deer population there and giving, allowing other people and a lot of people, honestly, to harvest, you know, a lifetime deer, um, you know, a deer that you can hang on the wall and probably very seldom be able to harvest another deer like it. Um, so that's, that's just why I love going back to Michigan. Um, at the very least, just to be able to, to drive around and see the deer that are, that are there, um, is, is pretty fun in itself, let alone being able to, to get in and, and actually try to harvest one. Yeah. And I, I know you had, some success last year up in Michigan. And from what I understand, Michigan's kind of laid out like Wisconsin is where it's like the bottom third or the bottom two thirds of the state is a lot of ag land. And it's, that's where the bulk of the deer population is. And then as you get into that Northern third of the state, it gets into deep woods, heavy timber where there's still a lot of deer, but the opportunity to see very far or to get on these deer is a lot less likely. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the The location where we have our our family property in Southeast Michigan um, is heavy ag fields. Um, you know, when you guys came and visit, ninety percent of the area we were looking at were all ag fields. Um, but I love our our portion of property because we get a, a good mixed bag of both landscapes. Um, you know, we have a river bottom that we're able to hunt. And then basically our 100 acres, 150 acres is just surrounded by ag fields. Um, so it, it provides kind of that perfect Bermuda Triangle when it comes to, to deer management and being able to keep deer in that location. You know, 150 acres in the grand scheme of things isn't really extravagant when you talk about managing property. But um, with having the opportunity and the the terrain that we have in such a small area allows us to be able to really monitor deer there and, and hold them in that location. Um, they have no reason to leave, you know, they have water, they have water source, they have a food source. Um, we have deep 
swamp timber down in there. So they have uh, excellent bedding area and cover. Um, so if, if we play our cards right, there's really no reason for them to go anywhere. Um, so it's been a, a, a really great opportunity up there. That's awesome. Well, I know this year, my year is getting kind of crazy looking at my schedule. And so I'm going to, I'm going to share a little bit about that. Um, because our season already kicked off here with Turkey on Monday and that goes all the way until the ninth, I believe of next month. Um, but it's like from there, I started looking at all the dates that I had set up yeah. <clears throat> and trips that I have. And I was like, dude, it's going to be a busy year. <laughs> like this is a full-time job for me if I really want to make all these trips happen and do it the right way. For sure. But I'll be getting back out on Monday. I'm not going to share too many details about the turkey hunt from this Monday because I'm going to do a full podcast on turkey um, over the next week. Uh, but I did get a turkey on opening day. And because of that, I can't shoot another turkey here in Missouri until Monday of next week. So the whole first week, you can only shoot one turkey. And then if you don't shoot one on the first week, then you can shoot two um, throughout the following week yeah. portion of the hunt. And so we've got that going. And then after that, the next season, well, I'll be coyote hunting kind of here and there all throughout. Like I bring a rifle out anytime I check cameras. Uh, we actually saw a coyote while we were turkey hunting on Monday. They're just everywhere out here. And so I'll be coyote hunting. It's going to be a, a breakup and I'll be doing some, a bunch of fishing in between um, turkey hunting in the next season. But the season after turkey hunting is actually frog gigging. Have you ever frog gigged? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Dude, I have come to look forward to the end of June so much because I absolutely love frog gigging. It's like one of those, it's yeah. I compare it to duck hunting because it's like the camaraderie. You can have a bunch of dudes out there, um, but you don't have to really worry yep. about a whole lot when you're going after frogs. And so we get a sure. group of anywhere from four to like nine guys out and we'll go in limit out on frogs i think it's 16 frogs a person you can get or something i mean it's a pretty large number anyways and so yeah we'll, it makes for a pretty fun night oh yeah and then because the fourth of july is right after that we throw this big party called the white trash second task bash and <laughs> which i will be attending this you, upcoming you year have got to come up <laughs> crazy my wife absolutely hates it but we i i enjoy hanging out with the guys and so we go out um opening night and then we always go out on the third and so we go out all night long on the third frog gigging we come back cut the legs up skin them get them soaking in the fridge and then we batter them and deep fry them and so at the white trash bash we've had anywhere from 50 to 210 people attend and so we'll just feed everybody we smoke a whole pig we do turkey and duck and venison like all the game meat that we've got in our freezers we'll just pull out a little bit and give people a taste test of it um yeah but it's a great time and second yeah time. i mean you kind of have yeah. that when when it's in for the sure so yeah. we're gonna do that and then after that i mean that goes for quite a while but the next big hunt is alaska i'm gonna be going back up to alaska this year and i can't wait for that i mean yeah we're doing everything from fly fishing to halibut fishing, blacktail hunting. Um, we actually have a kayak tour booked and then we're going to fly in on a float plane to like a remote river where the, some of the biggest brown bears in the world live. And I looked at this guy's page that we booked through and there's pictures of people sitting like 15 feet away from some of the biggest grizzlies. And yeah. they just don't care. And they're loaded up like dozens of them in this river, just feeding on salmon. And you sit there and they're shredding a salmon within throwing distance of you. And wow. so, man, that's going to be a sweet hunt. But For sure. I can't wait to do that, man. Alaska, we need to plan a trip, like just ditch the kids for a week and <laughs> go, go to Alaska. Alaska. <laughs> go up to Alaska and hang out. Yeah. But you guys, I mean, I guess we didn't even share like what you do for a living um, with campers and stuff. But 
uh, having the podcast, the nomadic outdoorsman, I, I feel like the name kind of came naturally because we travel so much and we lived out of our camper for a little while, but sure. As are kind of in that same boat. Yeah. Yeah. So a little over a year ago we launched, um, I, I was a residential home builder for almost eight years prior to us launching a little over a year ago. Um, what is now Marsh and sea, um, <clears throat> to where we, um, we take your regular RV, whether it's fifth wheel motorhome, travel trailer, uh, and we convert it into a luxury tiny home. Um, so we kind of did that for ourselves. That's kind of how we started as we did one for ourselves when we moved into, we sold our 2,600 square foot house and moved into like 275 square foot travel trailer. Uh, which was uh, a pretty big learning curve, but we absolutely loved it. Um, and that is what allowed us to be able to spend almost eight months in, in the Boise, Idaho area while we lived in that and we traveled back in it. Um, and then when we came back, we um, just kind of flipped another one and ended up selling quickly and we ended up making a business out of it. And it's just been kind of the sky's the limit from there. Um, we've done... Uh, 18 rigs over the last year and like four months. Yeah. So to say we've been busy um, is, is an understatement, um, but it's been great. You know, uh, the Lord's really blessed us and um, the business is doing really well. So that's cool, man. I know we've been talking a lot lately about getting back in a rig and what that looks like, what we need to do to get to that point. But we just loved the idea that we could bring our home with us wherever we went. Yeah. I mean, you know how it is with with flipping campers and, and doing client renovations. It's like you can schedule yourself out as much or as little as you want and then have that freedom to take off. with. The yeah, it, it really is, man. I mean, it is so freeing. Um, you know, actually, after you guys this past year, when you guys came up to Michigan, um, right after that, after we finished that renovation, um, we did a, I took, I took almost four weeks off and we did a 19 state vacation trip. Um, uh, and our home came with us. I mean, it was, it was business as usual for our kids and for us really, um, just in 19 different States. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was incredible. I mean, we, we had an absolutely uh, great time, um, and not being able to do stuff like that. I mean, it, there's a, obviously huge benefits to having sticks and bricks um, to call home, but um, there's something pretty magical about being able to take your house wherever you want to go and call it home. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, we've been talking about property and land or property in a home for a while. And I'm like, I would love to have kind of that combo hybrid lifestyle where we've got a home base where we can always go back to that, you know, we have as our own, it's got a pond or trails to ride four wheelers or hike on um, to hunt on, but then also to have a rig where we can just get up and leave and leave the house behind for a month or two and come back to it. So we'll see what, what the Lord sends our way here in the next year or so. Yeah. Well, you know, we're secretly praying that that happens so we can do some serious traveling together. (laughs) <laughs> well, I feel like the Lord's trying to tell both of us, like, get on the same page because every, yeah. I talk to you every day and I'm like, hey, dude, so are you moving here yet? And you're like, no, are you moving here yet? And we're both praying opposite things. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think at some point we'll be in the same place. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Our paths will cross yet again and, and it'll be for a long period of time. I have no doubt. Well, dude, as I list off these different hunts that, uh, I'll be doing this year. If you're like, Hey man, we don't have anybody we're working on a rig for in September or November. Like you let me know. Cause I've got hunts booked and I can get you on every type of game animal this side of, well, I, I was going to say this side of the Mississippi, but I'm on the wrong side. <laughs> the other side. <laughs> um, no, this side of the Rocky mountains, dude. There I, you go. Yeah. Animal. Like we go, so after, after I go to that Alaska hunt, I come back and dove opens, teal opens shortly after that. And then deer and fall Turkey with a bow all open up after that. And so if you hit it right, dude, you could come out here and we could be duck hunting, 
bow hunting for deer and turkey, dove hunting, frog gigging still. Um, we can just kind of hit it all at once. Yeah, yeah, no, that would be awesome. That would be a ton of fun. And, um, you know, I, like like I said earlier, man, this this upcoming season for, for deer uh, in, in South Carolina, I'm just beyond pumped for. Um, we had some bucks on camera last year and had some uh, personal encounters, uh, live encounters with them in the tree stand that, um, you know, one of them, and you, you saw the picture that I sent you, you know, one of them will probably be the largest deer I'll ever harvest probably. Um, so with knowing that in the back of your head, you know, the anticipation for, you know, the, the anticipation for season every, every year is like, is pretty awesome but knowing that you have the opportunity potential opportunity to have some great uh face-to-face encounters with some great deer um just makes you even more excited and just pumped to get after it and really set yourself up for success for the upcoming season oh yeah i always look forward to this time of year when you can start seeing antler development again and i mean right now the best i've got is like three inch uh, velvet spikes but i know they're going to start branching shortly and yeah I can't wait to see if you have those bucks on camera again yeah yeah i can't i can't wait man you know i've really um in anticipation for the season i really just kind of left it alone um i've got my trail cameras out and you know it, as hard as it is to say like oh man next month i'm just gonna run out there and grab them real quick and come back and see what's going on um yeah, I think a lot of the success that we've seen just in the last season here has come from the ability for those deer to come and move without any any pressure, like zero pressure whatsoever. Um, and so trying to continue to mimic that over the next couple of seasons, but yet start slipping in there to, to get some hunting activity done, um, I think will either obviously make or break our opportunities um so yeah i'm just you know a lot of people ask me what what do you what do you do in preparation for the the next season as a deer hunter you know it's not just going out and sitting in your tree stand day one you know you know you got to put you got to put the time in and you got to put the preparation in whether that's food plots or whether that's you know I, i'm a huge guy who rakes rakes a path to all almost all of his tree stands if need be that way yep. you can slip in it, slip in and out easy without without getting caught or, or spooking deer. Um, and what better time to do that in the early season? Um, and I'd say like early, early season. You know, I, I encourage people to get that done. Like, and now do it, do it during the summer. Don't wait like a week before season and get in there and start making a mess and really start trouncing around and, and disrupting, you know, a flow that you've wanted these deer to pattern in over the course of the last six months and then a week before you're supposed to capitalize on that you're in there just absolutely destroying what's going on so um here over the next couple of weeks we'll be you know raking trails you know designing food plot layout uh, if need be um, rearranging stand layouts and things like that to really like i said capitalize on what could potentially be a stellar year yeah well, talking about like getting in and out and not disrupting it a lot. I've heard a lot of people recently on podcasts, they talk about not even going in at all until they're in there hunting to check trail cameras. And what they yeah. do, they take the previous year's trail camera photos and data and they hunt off of that because they say a lot of the big mature bucks, if they're still in the area, say you have a big buck on camera on October 25th. Well, the following year, a lot of people have proven that that buck will be in that area within a day, either side of the date he was there last year, you know, yep. through they get on these annual routines and patterns and behaviors. And so it's like, you can really take last year's data without getting in there and interrupting their flow um, and hunt them based off that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the way whitetail pattern their activity over the course of multiple seasons is just extraordinary when you're really able to document that and see what location they're using at certain times of the season and how they're transferring over and 
you know, how they transfer from bedding areas to bet different bedding areas, depending on the type of season it is, or depending on what the weather is. Um, and if you really hone in on it and you do your research well, and you allow them to get comfortable in the position that they're in, I mean, you can almost game call exactly how your hunt's going to take place. Um, it, it, it transfers from, man, I, I hope I see this deer when I go sit in this tree stand to, I'm almost 100% confident that I'm going to be able to spot this deer. Yeah. It might not be shootable, but I'm fairly confident that I'm going to see this deer tonight when I go sit in this tree stand. And it just allows you to position yourself in a, in a much better place to be able to harvest that deer and harvest it well, rather than, oh man, I wish I was in that tree stand because I would be a lot closer uh, to that group of deer or whatever that you're having to look at across the field. Um, so really not disrupting their flow allows you to put yourself in a great position comes come season. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a cool, I mean, that's a cool way to approach it. There's I, it's so difficult because I listen to hunting podcasts, other hunting podcasts every day um, while I'm working on the camper here and there's so many different strategies and tactics to you that I'm like, what really works best for me? Cause I've heard like the Lakoskis, they've talked about how they'll get in or they're out there in machinery almost every day of the week. And the deer have just become used to it. And sure. they feel like year round, they're not a threat until obviously those few months when they're hunting in the fall. Um, and then other people are like, dude, I don't step foot on the ground. Like I spoke with the gentleman up in Wisconsin who runs the big, there's <coughs> some of the biggest deer in the country come out of his properties every year. And, uh, a lot of times they won't even let their clients touch foot on the ground. Like they'll drive them to their stand in a side-by-side -side or four wheeler. And they get straight out of the side-by-side -side onto the ladder or the sticks or whatever on their tree. Sure. And so it's like you have two different extremes and I, that's where I struggle because I like to use the property that I've got for all kinds of different stuff. And so sure. it's like if that was only a whitetail property. Yeah. I could have way bigger deer out there, uh, deer that are more comfortable staying there year round. But the thing I have to look at is it's not my property because I just am able to hunt it like a bunch of other people. And so I know that they're out there. And so I kind of lean more towards the side of I'm just going to be out there all the time and they're going to get used to me. Sure. Seen it. I mean, I've seen it where I'll be walking through a field and all of a sudden there's like three or four deer at 200 yards and they don't even spook or yeah. I've been out there coyote hunting before just blaring on the coyote call and had six deer walk out in the beans eating beans while I'm trying to call a coyote in. And right they get used to that and they get, they get comfortable with it, which um, I'll probably stick with that method until I have a property that I can exclusively hunt. And then I might switch over to the stay out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, you know, in every prop, every piece of property in every, every um, terrain environment is different. You know um, there are, and it's a huge controversial topic across hunters in general is, um, you know, there's, there's the whole one side or like, we don't, we don't even look at that portion of property until it's time to start deer hunting. Don't even think about it. And then there's guys that are like, yeah, man, we, we ride four wheelers in there, you know, all during the off season, no problem. And we still shoot these giant bucks and whatever. And which is great. Um, you know, and my encouragement to everybody is just like, you'll quickly learn <laughs> what, what the deer will allow you to get away with. Yeah. Um, but you got to have a baseline somewhere to say, okay, for one season, um, you know, we're going to treat that like a gold mine and just really try to, to pattern some deer, see what we have out there, see what the capabilities are. And then, then you kind of know what you're messing with. Um, you know, and if you ride four wheelers in there all next summer and your deer population cuts in half, well, then you know that you probably shouldn't be riding four wheelers, you know, if you want to have a great deer population. Uh, but if they the numbers stay the same, then by all means, if the, you know, the deer will let you get away with it. Um, I just, you know, 
another huge controversial topic is, you know, not strictly archery hunting, strictly bow hunting a piece of property to an advantage rather than, than gun hunting it and, and bow hunting it. Uh, obviously with me being such a huge bow hunter, you know, I think there are huge advantages to not gun hunting a portion of property and strictly bow hunting it. Um, you know, I've been able to harvest deer and, and get in and out when no one would even know the difference animals included. Yeah. Um, to where, you know, obviously going back there with a gun, it's a cannon going off. Um, basically, um, some guys say it doesn't bother the deer, doesn't bother the animals, they're fine, whatever, um, which could be true. You know, I'm not there present with a deer when, they, when a gun goes off, but um, I do know if there's a deer in front of me and I shoot the gun, it runs away to where <laughs> if I sometimes when I shoot my bow at a deer, it just stops there and kind of looks around like, what the heck was that? And goes back to doing whatever it was doing. So I think there's some strong advantages to that um, as well, which is why we're really going to strictly bow hunt this this uh, piece of property that we've able to to kind of stumble upon for this upcoming season. And it was kind of part of the part of the lease agreement as well that we would strictly bow on it. So yeah. which kind of worked out to my favor. So yeah, I do like that silent side of bow hunting, you know, unless the deer's within 60 yards, especially if you're in the timber, it's not even gonna hear the boat, the bow go off. I ran yeah. this year. Um, I had a hunt just on the property that that I live on. It's 20 acres, but I have pictures of deer every day. My wife's seen them as she's walking down the driveway and the deer will just be standing there looking at her as her and the kids and the dog are all walking down the driveway. And I'm like, man, this isn't even fair. But I was up in the stand and uh, I had two does walk in and they were probably at like 50 yards. And one of them just kept walking all the way up to me to five yards. And I got drawn back on it, sent an arrow um i heard it crash about 50 yards away and i look in the second doe that was coming through she jumped back about 10 yards and then she just kind of like poked her head up like oh, i don't know what that was and then continued to feed and she fed just to my right five yards pulled another arrow out and she ended up dropping 50 yards on the other side of my tree stand and i'm yep. like with a gun forget it like they would have been yeah um, the only the only time that I haven't seen them take off is when it's so loud that they don't really know where it where came it came from. from. Which, yeah. I mean, that that's pretty risky when you think, oh, I'm just going to shoot because they're not going to have any idea. Well, nine sure. out of ten, they're going to run back the way they came, um, and maybe one time out of ten, they get confused and they just kind of sit wherever they're at. Sure. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times this past season where. You know, I've, I've taken a shot with my bow and amongst a large group of deer and either they didn't spook and didn't run or they ran maybe 10, 15 yards and stopped and looked around and came right back to the same exact spot uh, where I took a shot. Um, or they would run out of sight and then before my hunt was over, they were back, <laughs> same deer, back in the same location. Um, which I mean, to me, it's just a, a huge benefit and a huge plus to to be able to archery hunt like that. Oh yeah. Well, I'm gonna switch. I'm gonna switch gears here for a second because I've got to share two hunts that are by no means guaranteed, but I'm so excited about the prospect of each of them. One for of sure. them is a Missouri elk hunt. So last year they did the first ever, or not the first ever, but the first in who knows how many years elk hunt here in Missouri. They did a lottery deal. You put your name in and hope to get drawn, but they only gave out five bull tags. Well, all five hunters filled their tags last year and they're doing Dang. it again this year. And I'm like, oh man, if I could elk hunt here in Missouri, that would be unbelievable. And so I'm putting in, sure. for in this year. My odds of drawing are, like I said, lottery odds. There's almost no chance that I'm going to get it. Sure. But if I do, I'm going to be recruiting you for some help. You're going to yeah, have, we'll definitely do that together. Have to take a week off and, and just come hang out. <laughs> the other one is also a lottery deal. I've been putting in preference points in Colorado ever since I lived there. And this is my first year that I can possibly draw a moose tag. 
And one of my top bucket list hunts, if not my top, is a moose with a bow, a bull moose with a bow. And I don't know yeah. what my odds are on that one. I think they're probably higher than my odds of getting the elk tag here in Missouri. But I just don't know with being a non-resident out there, if they set like a tag or a couple tags aside for non-residents or um, if you just get thrown in the pool with all the residents, if that's the case, my odds are close to nothing, but yeah. Well, we've said from the beginning that we've met each other, that would almost went on a, either a bull moose or a bull elk hunt that we would be there together to pull it off. So yeah, either one of those, you know, I'll be there. Yeah. The nice thing about, I think both of those hunts is that I could do it with either a bow or a rifle. So I know the moose hunt, uh, the unit that I'm looking at hunting or that I applied for, if I don't shoot one with my bow, I can go back after it with a muzzleloader. If I don't get it with a muzzleloader, I can go back after it with a rifle. Chase it with a rifle. Yeah, that's cool. That's like a month and a half long process at that point. Like the bow sure. itself, I think is two full weeks. And so, but I'll be out there until I get the job done. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think my cost on that tag, if I were to draw it, is like twenty four hundred dollars. Yeah, so totally worth it though. Oh my gosh! Luckily, I mean, I've been on a moose hunt out there with a rifle before, but to actually have the tag in my pocket and yeah. have to get close enough with a bow, oh my goodness, man, that'd be yeah, that would be awesome. It's out there. I mean, I think moose are kind of like this everywhere, where they don't spook nearly as easily as elk or deer because they're not the top of the food chain um, because they do get preyed on by some things but they're so big and fearless when it comes to the rut they'll they'll charge a train yeah rutting i mean they're dumb as can be and they're just huge and yeah with them when they're rutting yeah i'd i'd like to sneak in on one with a bow yeah that would be pretty awesome yeah, so that's gonna. Those are two hunts that, again, are not guaranteed. But I would be more excited about those hunts than any other hunts that I have planned this year. Sure, um, I do have one hunt that I'm doing out in Colorado. I'm going with uh, several friends of mine, and we're going after elk and mule deer. And so I think I'm. I think I'll draw my mule deer tag this year because I have a couple preference points, and the unit that I'm hunting isn't highly sought after. And so, um, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But my goal on that hunt is to get my, yeah. my buddy's dad and elk in Colorado. Sorry. I keep getting alerts that I'm internet connection. I hear the storm rolling in outside. So if we lose each other, that's why. Gotcha. But yeah, I mean, that's basically, those are the big hunts. I'll go back to Wisconsin for rifle season. I always go up there. Uh, the week of Thanksgiving and that's basically a guaranteed deer. Um, there's so many deer where we hunt, but it's not a guaranteed big buck by any means. And so sure, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty selective about the bucks that come through there just because we're in one of the best counties in the country for whitetail hunting. And I'm not about to shoot a little button buck or a spike up there when I know they can grow to be, swamp donkeys man they get huge yeah yeah for sure so well dude i mean that's that's basically the the bulk of what i wanted to cover uh in this conversation and i know we've talked through a lot of this stuff even this week <laughs> my wife keeps complaining that i'm yeah. with you too much every day <laughs> yeah we were in a good rhythm and then you yeah. facetimed each other and I didn't see you for an hour and a half. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's part yep. of yeah. that all comes. <laughs> but for the people listening, um, actually maybe I'll do a couple different things. First off for the people listening, where can they find you um, and your wife and your business? And then just like you personally on social media or um, how, the, how can they connect with what you guys do? Yeah. So, um, the easiest way to connect with our business is going to be uh, via Instagram. Um, my wife's account. Um, uh, you can, you can find us there. You can, you can go search uh, Carly Marsh or Marsh and C and be able to find us on Instagram there. 
Um, I do have a personal account on Instagram, but I'm just going to be honest. It is pretty weak. I hardly ever use it. Um, I just don't have really the time to, to maintain it. Um, but uh, I do have it out there and it, it's WP Marsh on, on Instagram. Uh, so you can find, find me on there as well. Um, but yeah, our strongest presence is, is definitely Instagram, both business and personal. We do have a YouTube channel uh, as well for the business to where uh, we put every rig that we do. We do, we do a short video uh, tour of each one and put it out there so you can find us on YouTube as well. And I would encourage everybody to go check it out because you guys put out some amazing rigs. And I know kind of your Keystone deal, Keystone, I mean, not specifically keystone but like kind of your cornerstone right is your fireplaces like you guys make phenomenal fireplaces in those rigs like everyone i see i'm like yeah can i is it okay for me to just steal literally everything he did in this rig and put it in the rig <laughs> but uh no it's it's yeah. good work well, I, mean, I appreciate that knock it out of the park um let me see if Thanks, i can man. maybe i'll go through a couple of these tiktoks really quick and see what people um, have to say, uh, nothing wrong with a rifle to hunt deer. Yep. No, that's true. South Texas is yep, 100%. This guy bores me. I think they're talking about me cause I'm the only one they can see on the video. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. My picks are better. Why is your deer a Turkey? Never seen that before. This is what they're seeing. I don't think you can see this. It's an elk rack with a turkey fan just sitting on top of it. <laughs> it is not a deer and a turkey. It's not, in fact, a deer at all. It's an elk and uh, a turkey fan. Um, they hunt by the moon times. They've taken four bucks with a bow in Ohio over 160. Dang. Four bucks over 160. I'd be all about that. They've got a YouTube. Yeah, video. for sure. Check that out. Um, and they never gun hunt that property. So not a ton of comments, but yep. they never gun hunt that property bow only. That's just us. So that ties right back into what we were talking about. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you, if you want to see monster bucks back to back to back seasons, there are huge advantages to strictly bow hunting sections of property in order to be able to manage large deer. Yeah. Yeah, I, again, I'm at that point, like if I had a property that I had the only access to, I would definitely implement that. Um, right now where we're at, I just, I'm like, am I okay with giving up all of these other seasons, you know, coyote, rabbit, dove, waterfowl, turkey, am I okay with giving all of that up in order to maybe get another 15 inches on a deer? you know, like, or have the, have the average deer go up by that much. And at this point I'm like, no, just because I know if I'm not out there, there's other people fishing every other week, very least there's other people that are going to be out there hunting all this other stuff. And so once I get my own property though, it might go archery only. Sure. So, well, dude, I appreciate you hopping on the call with me and, uh, I'm sure we'll try I appreciate you having me, bro. Yeah, dude. We tried to do when I was up in Michigan last June, and then we decided, hey, we're just going to reload ammo and BS for like four hours. That was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was fun. I need an ammo reloading station because that was (laughs) a good time, man. We cranked out a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the week that, that you guys were there, I think we reloaded like almost 400 rounds of 223 ammunition. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. That's for sure. And now that stuff, I mean, you could buy a house with that ammo now. Yeah. Yeah. To say that I haven't shot, I don't think I've shot one round of it yet. So (laughs) like, and there goes $35 in the current market. That's right. Yep. Well, dude, thanks again. I'll I'll uh, let you get off the line here, and uh, we'll chat with you later, man. Sounds good, man. Appreciate the time. Yep, we'll see you. And that is going to wrap up the show for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, it's always a good time chatting with Weston, and he and I actually talk on FaceTime like every day, probably for an hour, hour and a half. 
Um, we have a little bromance going on, as I'm sure you could tell from the audio. But uh, we talk about hunting and how we wish we could both quit our jobs. And, I mean, we already work for ourselves, but to basically get paid to hunt and fish and be in the outdoors sounds like a dream. Anyways, it was a fun time chatting with him. Um, we are definitely looking forward to getting out west and hunting some big game animals like elk or moose or bear or something like that in the near future. Hopefully next season, maybe next fall, we'll be out there doing that together. We both uh, love archery and want to shoot a bull elk with our bows. And I know the probability of that happening is very low, but we're going to give it our best effort anyways. And for now, we're going to wrap this one up, but I hope you guys are out turkey hunting in whatever state you're at, or you've had turkey success already this year. I know I'm going after my second one, and fingers crossed I can make that happen here in the next few days. Um, But I did get an invite down to a national forest area to do kind of some Ozark mountain hunting in the timber. So if I don't shoot one tomorrow or the next day, I will probably be going out and doing that. But thanks for listening to this one, guys. And until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.